Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters as they lead us to sing praise to your name. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. May our lives glorify and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your majesty and your glory. We pray that you might help us. Lord, we are, we are such distracted, dulled people in our minds because of all that we deal with every day in this world. We pray that you might help us to worship in spirit and in truth that we might be astonished and amazed at your glory and majesty and your beauty. You are worthy of it all. May all that we do at this church honor the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live lives that are worthy of your sacrifice. May the things we're living for be worth Christ dying for. Now we pray, Lord, that you might help us tonight, that as we have this opportunity to hear from the Holy Spirit as we open the Word of God, and the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to us, may each of us find what we need for our own lives tonight. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, and we pray for the ministries that are extended and expressed in the life of this church. We pray for Brother Jeff and our choir and Tim, the students, and Brother Ken with our children, Todd with all of our men who are studying the Word of God tonight in his missions work, and we thank you for Lori's work with our women. We thank you for all of the experiences we have together. We thank you for Ryan's work with our Bible studies and our discipling. May you be pleased with what we do. May you grant that we would find a way to reach people to, for Christ and to disciple those that you give us. <clears throat> now, Lord, as we always come to your word, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins so that we might receive the word of God with humility tonight and apply it in our lives as it's needed in the right places. You know exactly what we need tonight. So may we hear what we need to hear and then obey it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, good to see all of you. If you have your Bibles, find your place in uh, Proverbs chapter number 29. And we continue our study in the book of Proverbs concerning the important topic of living wisely. If you didn't pick up a copy of the outline, they're scattered around. I think there's some here and then there's some at the back. We're moving our way toward the end of, uh, please forgive me tonight, I'm, I'm suffering from a little of uh, the, uh, whatever this is we're going through, this allergy time, so I hope I'm not a distraction to you, and thank you, Brother Scott, I'll need all the help I can get. We come now to the end of one of these very important sections. We've been looking at these, uh, what I call, wise uh, contrasts and sacred similarities. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's way of teaching us the wisdom of God. <clears throat> so we learn the wisdom of God by things that are in contrast. Uh, and then we learn the wisdom of God from, uh, from things that are alike. And, are compare, and we can compare them. 
So tonight we finish the last of these sections. We started a long time ago looking at these together. <clears throat> and now uh, we come toward the end. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll find our way to chapter 30. Scott, bring that down just a little bit, if you would, please, sir. We'll find our place in uh, Proverbs 30, and then we'll come to the famous chapter uh, honoring godly women in Proverbs 31. What a great way to end uh, this wonderful study, and then we'll move on to some other things, Lord willing. <clears throat> the focal truth tonight is this, that those who fear God have life and honor. Those who fear God have life and honor. Let's read Proverbs chapter 29, and tonight I want you to especially notice <clears throat> the way I've outlined tonight is, is this, that the Holy Spirit of God is teaching us that there are, and this is very important for us all to hear, there are consequences for living wisely, and there are consequences for living foolishly. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit seeks to teach us. This is God's wisdom. There are consequences for living wisely, and there are consequences for living foolishly. And we'll discover some of those tonight, and I'll try to highlight that for you. So as we read Proverbs 29, I want you especially tonight to notice uh, situational, relational, and emotional consequences from what you read. Did you get those three? You see, these are the consequences of life I could have elaborated. Look, every one of you in this room, every decision you make, has relational, situational, and emotional consequences. Now, you don't just teach your children this. You live by it yourself. And this is what the Word of God teaches us tonight. So fearing God gives you life and honor and all of the good consequences that go with that versus those who do not fear God <clears throat> and the sinful, sad consequences of not walking with God. So as we read this, notice these are words as they describe the various consequences of the way we live. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad. But he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. By transgression, an evil man is ensnared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. Scorners set a city aflame but wise men turn away anger. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, the foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. Men of bloodshed hate the blameless, <clears throat> but the upright are concerned for his life. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and reproof 
give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. A slave will not be instructed by words alone, for though he understands, there will be no response. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who pampers his slave from childhood will in the end find him to be a son. An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. He who is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He hears the oath but tells nothing. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. An unjust man is abominable to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've put for you here three verses at the beginning of your outline, highlighted for you, verse number 13, verse number 25, verse number 26. As we continue to be reminded that the book of Proverbs is a teaching about the fear of God, living in the fear of God. Notice again, here we have this focus. Chapter 29, verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. Those who are poor, those who are who are oppressors, that is, people of different kinds of circumstances, have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. That is, He gives life. God gives life to all people, regardless of their circumstances. Look, today, the most wicked person living on this earth doing horrible, wicked things, God has given light to their eyes. To the to most gracious, most godly, wonderful person, God has given light to their eyes. Uh, 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts the Lord will be exalted. Honor comes as we fear God and trust Him. As I trust the Lord through all of my circumstances, God exalts us. Uh, What do we learn from the Proverbs and other places? Humble yourself under God's hand and He will exalt you. He will honor you. And then, of course, 29, 26, Many seek the king's favor. <clears throat> they seek the, the, uh, the government authoritarian, the ruler, whoever, the president. Many seek the favor of the government leader. But justice for man comes from the Lord, not from any human person. So now we have these consequences that I want to elaborate on, but I'm going to focus on some more than others. I may make some passing comments on some of them, but I'll spend a little bit more time on some of the others. Because I believe that in these uh, moments we have together, there are some very important lessons that I don't want us to miss. In Proverbs 29.1, we find the first consequence of 
living foolishly. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. So here we have the consequence of unteachableness. Uh, I've given you the paraphrase, one oft reproved may become stiff-necked, but he will suddenly uh, be broken beyond repair. What happens when we do not receive wise counsel? What happens when we do not hear the wisdom of God? What happens when we will not walk in the ways of the Lord Jesus? What happens when we stiffen our neck? You know, it's an old Old Testament phrase, stiff neck, a stiff neck. It's not describing some kind of paralyzed neck. It's describing an attitude. It's describing a way of living. Uh, The neck describing the strength of a person, a stiff-necked person is a person who resolves to have their own strong will about things, uh, determines to uh, do things in their own way, to be stiff-necked or strong-willed. We talk about strong-willed children. I I laugh about this sometimes uh, because I think, well, is it only children who are strong-willed? I believe every day I deal with a strong will. I believe I deal every day with my old natural man who stiffens up against God, who seeks to rebel against God, who refuses to do... Thank you, my brother. Aren't you grateful that we have firemen who do good things for us, who rescue us? I must sound pitiful, and I'm sorry, my brother. Thank you. But a stiff-necked person... Please forgive me, folks. A stiff-necked person is that one who resolves, I'll do my thing, I'll do my own way, I'll live my own way, I'll refuse to do what God says, or I certainly am not going to listen to wise counsel from others uh, who have wisdom. I've given you some examples here. Proverbs 28, 14. He who hardens his heart, this was a warning we saw uh, last week over in verse number 14. He who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. When I harden my, when I resolve uh, in my own strength to do what I want to do, and I do not resolve to live by God's wisdom and principles, when I seek to do it my own way, there's there's the consequence. Notice, here's the situational consequence. They will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. You look, around at the, you look around at the ruins of people's lives. I'm not saying that God can't save somebody from any circumstance. Yes, He can. God saves hard-hearted people every day. But look at the wreck and the ruin of lives lived based upon this, this unwillingness to submit to the truth of God and live by His Word. How many of us have appealed to friends? How many of us have appealed to family? How many of us have appealed to people to be saved, to be right with God, to walk with God, only to see them go the other way and to see the destruction that comes? Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. Every time judgment came against Egypt and the people were destroyed and even Uh, were affected by the judgments of God and Pharaoh himself and his own family were affected. What did he do? He did not soften his heart. He got harder in his heart. He was hard-hearted. 
Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. We have the example. I only gave you one example of many that we could read from the kings of Israel and Judah, especially the kings of Israel. Second uh, Chronicles 36, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. Can you imagine becoming the king when you're 21? He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. And then we read the famous words from Hebrews chapter uh, number 3. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, not yesterday, not tomorrow, today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness where their fathers tested me and saw my works for 40 years. The children of Israel saw miracle after miracle for 40 years. And they refused and hardened their hearts against God. Don't say, don't say, well, if I could just see a miracle, I'll follow God. No. Seeing a miracle doesn't cause you to follow God. A commitment to humble yourself and live by faith and obey the Word of God and submit to His truth is the way we walk with God. It's not in what God does for me that produces in me a desire to follow Him. It is my commitment to see that I need Him more than I need anything else in life, and I submit to Him. I do not live with a stiff neck. I ask you tonight, by the way, that these words in Hebrews chapter 3, they're spoken to believers. Have you ever met a hard-hearted Christian? Have you ever witnessed the sadness of a hard-hearted Christian who becomes cynical and hateful and bitter and unforgiving? It floods into their family. It flows over into their job and their work. It affects their relationships. You see, this is the consequence. This is the consequence. We spend a lot of time with our children talking about consequences for our actions, but the Word of God reminds us all here tonight no matter our age, no matter how long you've walked with God, there are consequences if you have become unteachable. You know, it's interesting to me as a pastor, and I'm, I'm making an uh, observation. I'm not doing, making a judgment, but it's been my experience through all my years. I mean, now almost 50 years of doing this. People are so excited and so teachable when they come to know Jesus, but then something happens. Something happens to so many. They walk with God and they desire to know how to pray and to read their Bible and to learn the truths of God. And then it seems that they get to a place where they know these things. They know them. They're aware of them. And they no longer need anybody to teach them. They're not teachable anymore. They'd rather tell others rather than learn God's Word and be teachable. It's a sad thing to see a teachable disciple become unteachable. This is what it means to harden your neck. And everyone in this room, including the preacher here, is in danger of hardening, hardening and refusing as I've given it to you, here are the steps to hardening your heart. You refuse to listen to God's truth. Well, I'm not, I, don't, I'm not, I don't think that's true. 
I, I, that's not true of me. <clears throat> you refuse to listen to God's truth and commands. However, however you get them, from reading the word of God, from someone preaching, someone teaching, however it comes to you. Refuse, wise counsel of a Christian, <clears throat> refusing to listen to God's truth and commands. Number two, refusing to believe and trust God for the best. You see, that's what's happening. I've had people say to me, well, you know, if God had done such and such, then I wouldn't be living like this. No, wait a minute. To blame God for your hard-heartedness is foolish talk. Regardless of what God permits into your life as a Christian, God knows what's best for us, even if it's a hard, hard road. So we, we submit to it. We gladly receive it. You see, the road to hardness of heart starts with refusing to listen to God and refusing to believe and trust God for the best and then rebelling and following our own selfish desires. So there's much we could say here, but that's enough. The consequence of wise living. Notice just some of the examples. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots, wastes his wealth. The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes, which includes kings, overthrows justice. And then there's the, the matter of flattery, which we've seen over and over. I won't, uh, won't spend too much time here. I want to get to other things. A man who flatters his neighbor, notice though the phrase, is spreading a net for the neighbor's steps? No. No, the flatterer, the flatterer spreads a net for his own steps. What we say to others when we don't mean it, when we say flattering things either to get favors or to get uh, some kind of sympathy or acceptance or help, when we, when we lie, when we flatter, we set a trap for our own feet. And then there is, of course, and I want to spend just a moment here, the consequence of sin by transgression an evil man is ensnared. Again, here's another trap. We have in this chapter several places where we, talk, where we see the, the warning about traps. Self-designed traps. Do you know anybody that's in bondage and in a trap tonight? I do. Do you know how quickly someone can find themselves in a trap? A self-made trap when they live foolishly and do not live in the wisdom of God? Well, we see it here. By transgression, by sin, an evil man is ensnared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The consequences of sin. An evil man's offenses are a trap for himself, but the righteous sing out joyously. Let's think about this. So when the righteous walks with God, he might seem to be trapped by his circumstances. He might seem to be at a disadvantage from those who do not follow God. But what we discover here is something that the righteous do. Those who are righteous, those who walk with God through... Now this is for you tonight. And you don't even have to be like our dear friends who just did it. You see, the righteous sing. And that doesn't mean you have to sing well. It doesn't even mean you sing on key. It simply means that you sing. You sing. And you rejoice. 
You see, singing and rejoicing come from those who live in righteousness, listen, regardless of their circumstances. I give you an example of the singing of the righteous. Here it is. You know it. I know who's in this room tonight. Acts 16. The jailer threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. You got Paul and Silas thrown. It was not a, it was not a state-of-the-art prison. This was a nasty, filthy, dirty, perhaps probably a dirt dungeon of some kind, made into a prison in Philippi, and the Philippian jailer, notice what it says, he threw them, not escorted them in and set them down, made sure everything was okay. He threw them in there. And when they were thrown in there, then they were roughly put in, uh, they were fastened uh, with stocks to their feet. They couldn't move around. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Wait a minute. By transgression an evil man is ensnared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous sings and rejoices. If they're sick, the righteous sings and rejoices. If they're old, the righteous sings and rejoices. If they're young, if they lose everything, they sing and rejoice. If they're blessed with all things, they sing and rejoice. Regardless of their, notice, how the righteous live in their situation. They sing. And notice, they were singing, they were praying and singing uh, hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening. They weren't cursing. They weren't complaining. They were praying and singing. And all the prisoners were listening. And then we have this wonderful verse from Micah 7, As for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. You see, this is singing and rejoicing. This is joy. This is the joy of waiting for God's deliverance and help. This is the way we live. This is how the righteous speak. I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I like what the old preacher Augustine said, always are the evil days in the world, always good days in the Lord. Always good days in the Lord. Every day is a better day when you give it to the Lord. The righteous sing and rejoice. The righteous sing and rejoice regardless of their circumstances. Well, I could say a lot more about that, you see, and then in and then in verse 7, we have this consequence of how the righteous are concerned for the poor. The righteous are concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked don't see the point. Well, they're poor. They deserve to be poor because they've made their own choices. And that's the way it is. They could be better if they wanted to be. But the righteous... See the condition, notice the circumstance of the poor, and they are concerned. I hope our church is that kind of, I hope we don't see people who are in their circumstance, as John said, and say, be warm and be filled and do nothing as a church. I hope we, I pray that we open our hearts and that we are a church of loving, gracious people who do what we can to help everyone, regardless of the conditions they're in for whatever reasons. 
Then you have the consequences of wise choices. Notice the scorners set a city aflame, but wise men turn away anger. See, that's a decision. The scorner sets a city aflame. The scorner can set a marriage aflame. The scorner can set a, a work condition aflame, a family aflame, a church aflame. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, the foolish man either rages or laughs and there's no rest. And then you see in verse 10 and 11, men of bloodshed hate the blameless, but the upright are concerned for his life. Again, the concern of the righteous. They're concerned about the poor and they're concerned about their life. The upright are concerned for the life of the blameless. And then a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Then there are these, there are these matters of choices of leadership. In verse 12, if a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. If you lead something here tonight, whether it's a family or a business or some other kind of situation, what you choose to do affects everyone who works for you. What you choose, to, your choices affect everybody else around you. You're, you're not an island to sit around and say, well, I can do whatever I want. No, everything you do has an influence and a consequence on those around you. That's why we read these words wisely. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all of his all of his ministers become wicked. And then caring for the poor again. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to them. If a, if a king judges the poor with truth, his throne is established. You see, what do, what do those who empower in government do to help the poor? This is a matter that the Word of God speaks about from the beginning. This is not a matter of Democrat, Republican, or independents in the United States of America. This is a matter of dealing with the poor. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to deal with this? When a king, when a king, please notice this, when the, when the king is willing to pay attention to this matter of the poor, his throne is established. The king judges the poor with truth. And his kingdom is established. But now we come quickly to this matter of disciplining children. You have these verses. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases. But the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. I wanted you to see this because there are some very important things here. One of them, and I won't be able to spend the time on it, but if you'll read through the uh, chronicles of the kings, you'll notice over and over, not every time, but m very frequently, the king is named and then it says he either did right in the eyes of the Lord or he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then you know what it says? And his mother's name was doesn't say his father's name. It says his mother's name. You see, there is for the mother a shame or a joy in the way their, their children live that is different from that of a father. Yes, we see both in the book of Proverbs. We see the father's appeal to sons and daughters 
to hear the word and respond. But we also see, and this is fascinating to study, you can read it carefully, oh, the shame of the mothers who many times were as evil as their wicked king sons. Their shame when children, you see, the mother is honored or shamed by the life of their children. This is a real thing that mothers carry all their lives, even to their grave. I wish I could say more, but I want to move on. The consequence of no direction from the Lord. What happens when people do not hear from God? What happens? I'm not talking about, I, I, tonight my, my speech isn't about, my talk isn't about what's happening in America. America is America, just like the rest of the world filled with people who either choose to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus or live in rebellion against God. That is the world system. But what happens when there's no word from God? What happens to you and to me when we don't hear from God? You see, that's what uh, this famous verse 2918 is about, where there is no vision. The word vision here is not some word used. Sometimes people in the business world use this verse, vision. You've got to know where you're going to go. and You've got to look over the mountain and you've got to climb the mountain and reach for the stars and all of that talk. And this isn't about vision in that sense. This is about instruction. The vision of God in the Old Testament is always tied to His instruction. You see... Where there is no instruction from God, the people are unrestrained. This is the consequence. This is the consequence. You see, God's vision is His instruction from the Word, and without it, people have no self-control. Amos 8, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, north even to east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Oh, how sad it is when there is no word from the Lord. Oh, how sad it is when we live our lives with no word from the Lord. Look, you know why you must be in God's word every day? Because you need a word from the Lord every day. Where there is no word, where there is no instruction. We pride ourselves in knowing how to take care of ourselves, but where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, and that includes all of us. Paul reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and I have it there for you in Romans 10. Uh, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How do they call on Him whom they have not believed? How do they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You see, the Word of God is tied to us proclaiming and teaching others the truth. Oh, the sadness. Look, you stagger, Amos says. You, you reel. You fall back and forth. You're unrestrained. You're uncontrolled when you have no word from God. There is a statement here about the treatment uh, using slaves uh, in this ancient world example, but it's about also employment, and I'll leave that with you to read. And there is a word about anger and pride, and I'll come back to that. And then there's a word about bad relationships in verse 24, the consequence of bad relationships. He who is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He hears the oath, but he tells nothing. I want to get to fearing other people. 
boy, I've got to hurry quickly here. But this is important. Because in this chapter, uh, I, I just have counted, uh, there are so many words, and this is unlike any of these other chapters, the emotions, the, the consequence of either godly or ungodly emotions are filled in this chapter, full. I mentioned it to you at the beginning. There are situational, there are relational, but there are emotional consequences to the way you live. The fear of man brings a trap, but he who trusts the Lord will be exalted. You see, the bondage of fearing other people is real. It keeps people in business from telling the truth to their boss because they fear what will happen if they tell the truth. The fear of man keeps people from sharing the gospel because someone might make fun of us. In some parts of the world, they might arrest you and throw you in jail. The fear of man, the fear of another human being is a trap. You see, the bondage of fearing other people is the fear of loss of respect and reputation. It's the fear of pressure to conform uh, to standards given to us by others, by the crowd, fearing the abuse of others and their power. Uh, the Lord Jesus over and over reminds us of this. You see, when Pilate heard the Jews say we have a law and, he ought to, and, and Jesus ought to die, it says Pilate heard this and he was afraid. You see, he feared the Jews. This Roman governor, he feared the people. And what do we have Peter doing? You're, you were one of them. You're, you were with Jesus. And what does Peter say? The fear of man. I do not know what you're talking about. I do not know him. Be careful of the emotion of fearing other people. And I would only mention it to you. Let me just read them to you. Listen to all of these, listen to all these consequences of emotions all through 29. I'll just read it. Hardens the, heart, hardens the neck. The people rejoice, verse, 20, uh, verse 2, the people groan, a father is glad. You see a righteous sings and rejoices. You see a wise man turns away anger, verse 9. You see raging and laughter in a fool. You see losing your temper in verse 11. Uh, you, you see um, shame coming on a mother when a child does not live right. You see delight in verse 17 when a child lives the right way. You see happiness in obeying the law. People are always happy when they obey the law. You see the angry person stirs up strife. Hot-tempered people abound in sins. You see the partner of a thief hates his own life. The fear of man brings a snare. And finally, the last thing I'd mention is the greatest of all conflicts. It's appropriate that the last word, the last verse of 27 would give us this, this uh, permanent conflict that exists and will exist until Jesus comes. And that is the conflict between the righteous and the unrighteous. Look at it here. An upright man is abominable to the righteous. An unjust man is abominable, that is detestable, to the righteous. And he who is upright in the way is detestable to the wicked. 
I've given you this quote from Charles Bridges. Here's the oldest, most rooted, most universal quarrel in the world. It was the first fruit of the fall. It has continued ever since and will last to the end of the world. What is it? It's the conflict between the righteous and the wicked. The Lord Jesus said, you'll be hated. You'll be hated by all because of my name. You see, there'll never be a resolution. There'll never be a compromise. Righteous people who try to compromise with unrighteous people become like the unrighteous. There will always be a difference. We must stand with the standard of love and grace to those who do not follow Jesus, but we must remember those who do not follow Jesus hate Jesus and hate those who follow Him. Because when you're a Christian, it's like the man said, I was talking with one of our men and he was at work and he's been trying to be a witness. He said the hardest thing is is that he's been uh, uh, isolated. The, the men have stopped uh, associating with him because he's a Christian. They, they, they say that he acts like he's now too good. He's better than them. When he's never said anything except he doesn't participate in drinking parties and cussing and adultery and some of the other matters. So now he's out. He's isolated. So tonight, to the praise of the glory of His grace, we remember this. And by the way, this is the great contrast of the book. It begins with these war this warning uh, in Proverbs 1.10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And it ends... An unjust man is detestable to the righteous. And he who is upright in the way is detestable to the wicked. So may the Lord give us wisdom tonight. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord Jesus is near to the door. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your wonderful Word. All of us in this room are living as a result of the consequences in our lives because of the choices we've made. We have chose to live in wisdom or we've chose to live in foolishness. May the Holy Spirit take these truths and show us the power of what those emotions and those circumstances and those relationships become based on whether we live righteously or foolishly. Give us your grace to know and thank you for the time we've had tonight in your word. You deserve the glory. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We honor you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Good to see all of you. If you see someone in here you don't know, speak to them on the way out and introduce yourself. Have a great evening. Lord willing, see you Sunday.